<laughs> Do we get that on tape? Just rolling. <sighs> this is the Creative Double Shot, a conversation about building the creative life you want. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ginger. If you want more creativity in your life, let's talk. And welcome to another episode of the Creative Double Shot. Welcome. Today, this day, we are talking about patience. And uh, really, it's kind of a revisiting of the concept of creative practice. Basically, sort of the long game as a creative. Like, what do you want other than, you know, to have all of your stuff fully formed, dropping out of your head? <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, so one of the things that we've touched on in the past is the idea that, you know, when you start something, especially practice, usually you're not as proficient at it as you would like to be. You know, we were reading over Austin Cleon's blog post about patience and uh, it was fantastic. Got a bunch of links that go to other fantastic things. Always. He, he talks about, you know, you practice because you suck. And that's not exactly how he said <laughs> it. But you want to suck less, so you practice more. And over time, you have these incremental achievements that all lead to something bigger than the achievements themselves, right? And we were talking about it a little bit, and uh, Sean McNiff talks about the idea that even when you come to a creative practice for the first time, you still bring stuff to the table. So it's not like you just come and you suck completely, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the things we've talked about before, such as, while yes, maybe for writing, all stories have been told, but they've not all been told by you, or an artistic concept has been explored, but not by you. Right. So you're bringing your own perspective to the table on this. And, and that doesn't mean, again, that you're just going to come out of your, your brush or your pen fully formed and amazing, but you have an idea, ideally, of what you want to do. And so... Or even a spark of an idea that excites you. That's right, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. the right. giddiness. Yeah. And, and just because we can say it, be geisterung. <laughs> just can't say that word enough. You have to say it, though, with gusto. Be guys strong. That's right. Hopefully that didn't <laughs> blow out the uh, microphone. Um, yeah. And so I, I just, I really love that idea that, you know, what's the point of doing it if you're not going to learn stuff, right? If you, if you, if you come to it fully formed, it's like, well, I just do this and this is what I do and I'm amazing. Yeah. But where's the fun in that? Which is what you think you want. I mean, like your ego wants that. So your ego wants. That's right you to be able to perfectly execute this stuff every time that then you can show to people. Well, but... and that's it, right? It's the ego that's like, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, if people don't see this. If, you're, if your art falls in the woods and nobody's around to see it. Yeah. Does it... I'm not sure what that means. Still uh, fall? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Our metaphors are top notch here. We're going to give you plenty of opportunities to practice patience today. That's right. If you can take as much of your ego out of the process as possible, the more likely you are to A, enjoy the process, and B, not be so uptight so that you're like throttling the process. And, and by taking the ego out, you become more open to ideas. We, you know, we talked about the doubt stuff where you, you keep doubting your ideas because ideas beget ideas and you want to be open to whatever comes in because it, there are things that obviously you haven't thought about yet as you start a particular project or even you start your practice for the first time that they'll come to you. And, and of course, they don't always come to you in the studio or at the keyboard. Sometimes you'd be washing dishes, taking a shower, chopping wood. What other manly manual <laughs> tasks? Can we t- no. 
Uh, but yeah, so it's almost a meditative type thing, right? Where you try and let the, your in your head stuff fall away so that, and, and again, it's part of the practice where you can, as you do it more, you become better at it. Not necessarily perfect or great, but you become better at it. And, and I think the other piece that's really cool is that you start to recognize when it's happening as opposed to like, I don't know how I just did that. I don't know when, you know, and, and then you start to be in tune to the variables that help create that scenario. Right. And trust that it's going to happen if you allow. Yeah. Another thing out of that McNiff book, he talked about the, uh, what's the name of the book? Uh, trust the process. Trust the process. Yeah. He talks about though, that your artistic practice is like a relationship, right? So the longer you're in it, the more you you know, find the things that you do like, things that you don't like, and, uh, you know, sort of making, in some ways, making your peace with those, with both of those, as opposed to just like, well, I just want to focus on the stuff I like, because you can learn from the stuff that you don't like. Right, yeah. And yeah, and so you have this, this practice that the beauty of it, and this is so the, going back to the, the uh, theme of this particular episode is, is patience. And instead of wanting to be real, you know, good right away and all this stuff, we were talking, I think, last episode about uh, Abraham and Esther Hicks mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and uh, the thing that she says about, you know, you're never done, right? Like never going to get it done. That's right. So if you're not going to get it done because you can always improve, you can always, you know, do the thing. Because even if you get to a point, say you want commercial success, you're getting to a point, you churn out whatever it is that makes you a ton of money. You know, how deep is your satisfaction on the 16th or 20th or 30th iteration of that same thing? And so in equating the creative practice with a relationship, as we get deeper into our personal relationships in life, if we're open to seeing, we'll we'll know that, oh, yeah, the relationship is very much a, I don't want to say up and down, but it has different levels to it. And, you know, sometimes it's a slow simmer, sometimes it's a a hot flame. <laughs> it's, it's a stove, really. So, right. <laughs> but uh, How many but, more metaphors can we cram in here? All of them. <laughs> and as you do your creative practice, if again, if you're open to it, you recognize the same thing and, and don't necessarily rail against the fact that you've hit a tough spot. Right. So much as, okay, I'm here. So if I don't want to be here, how do I get to where I was before or, you know, moving forward. And, you know, we talked about the better feeling thought and the giddiness and, and just remembering those things that we did or we experienced that we can do an experience again, which is, you know, part of that practice. Yeah. And this week I was listening to Andy, um, bringing up Andy J. Pizza again. We, yeah. we do have our favorites, but he was talking about the Lego movie ah. and it's his favorite. But anyway, he built this whole built, I'm using the word unintentionally, but it, it... Is he a master a builder? A, he's... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so... But he, he's partnering with the Lego movie to do some stuff. And anyway, but cool. he talks about building, unbuilding, rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the same with a long-term relationship. You're sort of always in these different phases and being okay mm-hmm. with being in those phases and the various... And variable emotions that go along with those phases. I, I got another metaphor. Oh, it's the house metaphor. So mm. you live in a house and you have things you love about the house. But then if you're in it long enough, you start seeing all the things. Oh, well, we need to 
you know, fix that crack over there. We need to paint this. We need to get some holes in the wall from pictures or whatever. And if you start fixating on that stuff all the time, you're like, oh, this house is just, it's trash, you know? But then you'll get a day where the sunlight comes streaming in. Everything looks glorious. You vacuumed. You actually clean. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so when you recognize the good things that you bring to your practice, it makes it a little easier to kind of get going again if you find yourself stuck or whatever. And I think that's really important because it's easy just to focus on the negative stuff. And it's funny, just like relationships, I bet if you stop your creative practice, then all you'll do is romanticize how awesome exactly. it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. And then your house too. Remember that house we lived in and it was awesome and it's like, yeah, but remember the termites and the right. bats in the belfry and et cetera. Anyway, a lot of metaphors that kind of speak to this, but the... Uh, I love the Reaching I, for the better feeling thought is what it comes down to. Excuse me for interrupting you. No, I'd love it. Um, if you want to have a practice that speaks to you, you have to figure out ways to sustain it, right? As opposed to going, well, I'm not very good at this. The stuff I'm making isn't what I want it to be, so I'm going to quit. And a lot of people do, right? A lot of people start out, they have big dreams, but when it doesn't immediately translate into what they see in their head, they're just like, well, I must not be good at this. And, uh, and I was thinking about the uh, creative practice going back to narratives as well, right? So dispelling narratives in, in Trust the Process, McNiff talks about uh, when he was growing up, he was always told, like he's from a very talented family, I guess. Um, his aunt was a vocalist who sang arias and, you know, he was always told that, well, he doesn't really have a good singing voice because his voice yeah. was, he had a deep voice and he would always get stuck in with the tenors and it's like, well, yeah, it doesn't really work. But he was told that he didn't have a good voice and so he he moved into more art and dancing as a, as a young person because people said, oh, you're good at those things. Right. And so then you have these, like part of the practices, I, I think dispelling those narratives is a big part of it too, because once you're open to the idea of like, well, that doesn't have to be that way, just like you're, if you're in the doldrums in your practice, like, well, it doesn't have to be this way. So let's figure out, let's figure out how to get to someplace else instead of telling ourselves how miserable we are in this, this bad place. Yeah. And being in misery has a certain appeal or a, and also a societal norm. Or so, or, ah, misery loves company, that oh, whole yeah. thing. So how hard you can is. commiserate with other people and, you know, but, but paying attention to the vibrational content, like, is this the story I want yeah. to tell? <laughs> right. So, yeah, I feel like narrative and practice go hand in hand. Yeah. Because I'm always, I always marvel at myself because that's what I do. <laughs> no, well, I, I mar like, there aren't a lot of things that I would spend a decade or more doing without really any payback. Right. And I should say external payback, right? But what I've found is that the internal pay is far greater. I mean, I've said this before, I'd love, I still have a goal getting published and having a writer career, even if it's not the only thing I do. And we'll talk about identity as an artist here in a minute in, in the whole practice thing. But uh, in an earlier episode, I talked about how for the longest time, you know, the publication was the thing. It was what I, it was, what I was after. And like we've talked about there, if you're going for those external rewards, they can only sustain you for so long. And, and really, it's, it's been more recently, probably within the last year or two, thank you, pandemic, um, but reexamining that and going, well, obviously, you like doing this because you've continued to do it. So let's examine that a little bit. And 
instead of the publication thing, which again is still there, it's, it's that idea of just how is it, it's a fun place to be mentally, spiritually when you're creating because you get the flow state. You do get to see that incremental, I don't want to say mastery, but competence of mm-hmm. how you, you know, five years ago, this would have been harder for me. And uh, going, this makes me think of that quote on Austin Cleon's blog and a post titled, A Willingness to be Bad. The quote is, it isn't so much that geniuses make it look easy, it's that they make it look fast. Ah. And I think that's, that's it in a nutshell. And he also has a quote from, uh, was it John Wong? No, David Wong, the author of John Dies at the End. And he, and he has a, the guy wrote a piece about how the Karate Kid ruined <laughs> uh, basically anything for people, for, for all of us, because they had the training montage in there. Ralph Macchio is doing all the training and it, it compresses the time it takes for someone to get really good at something. And so we have this unrealistic expectation of how quickly we should be masters or proficient at that kind of stuff. And so anyway, thinking about that in the, in the daily writing stuff, like being able to occasionally go back and look at stuff I've written before. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like seriously, this is even to my unobjective eye, because it's my own work. It's it's objectively better, you know, um, yeah. because you can, you just see like the, the writing's more compact, it's denser, it has more meaning per word, et cetera, et cetera. And do, do you ever, when you look back at your old work, do you? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that attic full of paintings that I have of when I first started acrylic, that's the most glaring thing to me is when I started doing acrylic painting, which is what I mostly do now. Uh-huh. Uh, I had been doing oil painting, and I remember just, I mean, I wanted to switch to acrylics because I wanted something that dried faster, and I wanted something that, you know, I could do at my kitchen table or whatever because I didn't have a lot of space. And so it's really hard to switch. Anybody, any painters out there know that switching between acrylic painting and oil painting, because now trying to go back to oil painting, I'm having a mess of a time you know, mixing stuff around because I expect yeah, yeah. things to dry really fast. And so anyway, those those paintings, I look back on them now and I'm trying to look at them with love, but sure. I definitely, I see the struggle. I can see the struggle right there of not being able to blend, not being able to, you know, just. Which is funny. That's oh, uh, interesting. Another, another quote, life is just quotes now. Thank you, internet. Um, but there's that idea, right? That every piece of art you see is basically a depiction of that artist's struggle to, to get that piece to that point, you know, good, bad, or, you know, whatever subjective type thing you want to put on there. And I think that's really cool because it is, you're just struggling or striving going back to your point about like, oh, it's, you know, you writers, you open a vein and bleed on the paper and it's like, oh, you know, come on, let's. Let's tone it down a bit. <laughs> I mean, that's romantic and everything. <laughs> yeah, if you like bleeding on But striving, paper. if you can change it from struggling to striving. Yeah, totally. I feel like I need to apply this. This is my, you, you know, listeners someday are going to get to listen to me play a song on the ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> it's my little dream. Like, that's my, you know, I had a similar thing to this McNiff guy who, you know, my... My mom basically had a narrative that we we didn't have a lot of singing talent in our family. And I don't agree with her now. Yeah. 
but it came it stemmed from her own you know i realized how much stuff that people say we lay in our trip on other people exactly has to yeah. do with your own you know ah yeah so that's a whole other i always say this but there's a whole other episode in there but yeah, you know. no, it, it is. It's, it's a fascinating thing, and well, I, I didn't finish that story about oh. McNiff. No, no, you're oh, good. Right. It's it all ties in the, uh, and so he wound up, you know, as an adult pursuing singing, you know, because he was, and, it, and again, this goes back to the narratives, just this idea. It's like, oh, that, that that isn't how it has to be. Whatever state I'm in, I have the power to change it. You know, I mean, yes, there are times where. There are, if you're in a situation with forces you can't, you have no control over, then it's like, okay, I'm going to change my liking. Right. <laughs> but if it's you, it's like you have all the control in the world. And, you know, I think as, at least as I've gotten older, the idea of working towards something to some sort of proficiency isn't as odious to me as it was when I was younger. And it's weird because learning to play guitar was something I was like, oh, am I ever going to learn how to play guitar? And I learned how to play guitar plateaued. I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, yeah, I could, if I was willing to put the time in and maybe I will be at some point, I can get better at guitar. Um, but uh, the other ones are the, the math ones. I think we talked about at some point too. And it's like, I want to understand algebra better. I want to understand the mathematical parts of music and how all the scales, you know, all that kind of stuff, because it's interesting. But a lot of times I find myself saying, well, you know, maybe you just don't have the bandwidth to do that. Right. And uh, McNiff argues that the busier you are, the more that that everything feeds off of each other. Oh. And I thought that was really interesting because I, when I was finishing up my novel for this critique, I was very busy at work and I just felt like I was like, bam, 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 going. But there was some sort of energy there that oh. sort of all worked, you know, and that was pretty cool. Yeah. I'm also thinking about the amateur Versus professional, you know, and maybe I can't remember if we've talked about this or if we just talked about that we're going to talk about it because, or maybe <laughs> I wrote a, ah, maybe I wrote a newsletter about it. I'm not sure, but I, I love this idea that we, in our society, we have this push for professionalism in everything. That's right, so right. the willingness to just be an amateur, like, oh, I want to learn how to play and, and sing you know, play the ukulele and sing, not because I'm planning to start a band and do that for a living. Going on tour. You know, like, so the process really is important. It's the, if I can lean into the process of learning it and, and try to make that fun. And I took a, oh, I took a neat class called yoga, music yoga. Oh, I'm not going to remember. But anyway, but it was really neat because it was just about playing a note and just staying with it and just feeling the That's excitement. Awesome. And it's tapping into that, the feeling part That's of it, right. instead of this relentless focus on the finished product. For sure. And, and that, um, another piece of the practice is, you know, there's this, we love, like you're talking about your mom, we know we love our labels. And so if I was like, well, I'm going to be an artist, it's like, well, then that's all you can be. You can't be something else. And the reality is that many fine works of art in all walks of life are made by people who aren't only artists, right? It's not like they're not in their Soho loft, you right. know, being angsty. I know that's, I'm just going to wear that one out. But 
but there, you, there's space for it all. That's the other thing. You know, if you, if you want to do it, you'll find time and, and it's not going to be the same for everybody. You know, some people get up first thing in the morning and do their work. Some people ride on the subway. Some people play music in the evenings. I mean, there are a million ways you can make it work. And, and I love that idea. It's like, oh, I do art for me. And it doesn't matter if people know that, oh, hey, did you know that I'm a writer? You know, um, I always think of the uh, Tenacious D sketch on HBO and they live next door to the guy and <laughs> they, of course, were practicing their band music and he would be like knocking on the door, hey, you guys, I'm trying to get some work done. I'm a writer. <laughs> and obviously they were poking some fun. But, uh, but that idea that, you know, we are not our art. Yeah. We create art and that's cool and it makes us feel good and that's cool. But we're just, we're people who do different things. And uh, a couple of the examples that McNiff gives about that, he talks about, uh, and, and I won't remember any of the names, but a, a famous poet who was also like a VP at a uh, oh, insurance right. company. Yeah. Um, Wallace Stevens. That was Wallace Stevens. Yeah. And then a uh, poet. Writes novel. Oh, he's a poet. Yeah. And, uh, and William Carlos Williams mm. was also not a full-time poet. He was something else similar to that. Anyway, um, and Sexton lived in the suburbs, was a mom and a, yep. yeah. And I think that's really cool because then it's like, okay, like what, again, if I'm going to sustain this thing, why, why would I keep doing this? And I think it's, you know, exercise is always an easy one. Cause it's like, well, I, I don't want, I want to feel good physically. I don't want to break down. I want to have more longevity or whatever that is. Um, whereas the creative stuff, I think we discount the effect, the similar effect that that has on our psyche. Yes. And I, I just, I love that. And, and again, like we talked about way back in the beginning, most people, well, all people have creative potential mm -hmm. and most people exercise it in some way or another, you know, some people when they're kids, when they transition into sort of adolescence, they switch from art class and crayons and coloring and stuff like that. And they move into sports and then they rarely pick up the pen or paper or whatever again. And, uh, but there's a, uh, this idea that the more different things that you do, and they were talking about he, this McNiff again, he was talking about student athletes, um, how student athletes do better in school because they're not just doing this. They're not just doing academics, you know, they have having multiple outlets. And I think that's really important for your creative practice that you're not like, oh, I always need to be writing or I always need to be right. painting. It's like, oh, I can go for walks, I can ride my bike, I can read books, I can watch kick-ass series on Netflix or whatever Have it is. Have community experiences no. like being part of a team. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's Even though it. being part of a team scares me because of the, you know, pressure to be... But that's so. the beauty of the team, right? Is that <laughs> right. greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. No, I just... It, it's just fascinating. And so, like, those are, like, the big tips, though, is like, okay... You don't need to be fully consumed by your art. You can always find space for it. And you can revisit the things that made you want to do it in the first place, which we've touched on a lot. But super, super key. Um, this could be like a 12-hour episode. But, <laughs> but it's just, and, you know, going back to the Andy J. Pizza thing, the building and unbuilding and rebuilding, I think you do, like you said, you do that with relationships. Not in the like, hey, I'm going to tear this relationship down. <laughs> right. But you examine it and you refine it and you, re you refine how you look at it. and same thing with your creative practice. It's like, you know, well, what do I want out of this? And what am I willing to, like, what battles do I want to have? And it's certainly not like staying up till three in the morning working on my stuff. It's just more of the, 
figuring out the stuff that gets me jazzed. But uh, And then being okay with the ebb and flow. You yes. know, sometimes you're on yeah. and sometimes you have to take a year off because of a health problem or because of, you know, That's like right. something else. And it's all of that is part and parcel of <laughs> right. the experience and okay to weave and I don't know. It's, yeah. No, um, you had another metaphor about practice that you really liked about the bus. What was... All right. Staying on the bus. That was a... Well, it's Austin Cleon. That's right. We, this is like 80... It's our fandom. 80% Austin Cleon's <laughs> material. Well, his stuff is so good because he... If you don't subscribe to his news, newsletter, I highly recommend you do because you get the whole week's like synopsis of blog posts. Then you can be like, okay, I want to read that, right? Read that. And of course, they're all worth reading because oh. inevitably you dig into one and, and it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's applicable too. Um, all right. It, so he had a metaphor of the bus... Where? In some country that, a Dutch country or something like that, that the like bus, Amsterdam. it doesn't take a linear thing. It right. like goes off on all these side things. And, you know, if you're feeling like, uh, this isn't where I want to go, well, stay on the bus and it'll take a side route pretty soon, you know? That's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, I missed the important part of the metaphor, but, <laughs> but I do love it. It's, and it's that idea is like, if you... Going back to the the proficiency and all that stuff, if you stay on the bus long enough, you'll see those gains. And I feel like that's one of the things that we like to think we bring to the table is that we've been on the bus for a, over ten years, easy, and and it's really cool because there's a feel like I have a lot more equanimity about my creative practice now, and I'm not so focused on the you know the instant gratification part of it, more so like the just the being in it and the feeling that you get when you're, when you're in it. Anyway. Yeah. Same. We'll probably come back to this again and again, just because it, it, as a creative practice, it, it can take different forms for different people, you know? So that's the, the last thing I would leave with is that, like we said in the beginning, you want to figure this out on your own terms mm-hmm. as opposed to like, well, so-and-so does it like this, so I'm going to do that. And you can do that. Like you can try stuff if you're not sure what's going to work for you. But don't feel bad if it doesn't work for you and you try something else. And, it, and I feel like that's like the creative practice in a nutshell. Just keep trying shit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just keep trying stuff. <laughs> womp womp. And, uh, and good things will happen. You yeah. know? And mostly they'll be right in your, your little heartstring. Aww. <laughs> Wrapped in your emotional ball of twine. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> the emotional ball of twine isn't all bad. That's right. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Hopefully, this meandering discourse is uh, useful for you, and we sure enjoyed it. Feel free to reach out on the website, dreamsmithlimited.com, and we'll catch you next time on The Creative Double Shot. See ya.